Hello, Legion of Audience. This is James. And before we get started today, I wanted to take a second and let you all know about the brand new Who Would Win Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and get behind-the-scenes access like you've never seen before, go to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow right now. Who Would Win patrons will have access to outtake videos, early info on battles, and even get a vote on characters that we'll use in upcoming episodes. So if you'd like to support me and the show, head to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow, and for as little as five bucks a month, you can define yourself as more than just a fan. You'll be an official member of the Legion. Hope to see you there. It's carousing time at the local saloon. The whiskey is pouring, the piano is scoring, and the women are inviting attention. Outlaw John Marston is playing a friendly game of poker with the locals when a stranger enters the bar. Decked out in a zoot suit and posh haircut, bounty hunter Spike Spiegel saddles up to this bar. I'm here for John Marston, nothing else. John stands up to eye his would-be captor man-to-man. Is that so? He says, well then, friend, I'm afraid today is not your lucky day. The patrons back away from the center of the saloon, as everyone present knows that when two dangerous people collide, the collateral damage knows no limit. It's Gunslinger versus Bounty Hunter. It's Wild West versus Deep Space. It's Spike Spiegel versus John Marston today on Who Would Win? And welcome to another episode of Who Would Win, a show that completely ignores anything important happening in the world and instead focuses on a fictional battle between two characters from the worlds of comics, sci-fi, and fantasy. I'm your host, James Gavsey, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ray Stekanis. In today's episode, we're bringing you two sharpshooters from the worlds of anime and gaming. In one corner, you have Spike Spiegel, the protagonist of the most aired anime series of all time in Cowboy Bebop, Versus John Marston, one of the badass characters of the Red Dead Redemption gaming franchise. As usual, I did the patented Who Would Win Google test, you know, just see how many times this match has been discussed. Now, I actually would have thought that this much, this matchup was not discussed ever. This is kind of a weird, out of the box, you know, pairing of two characters. However, it turns out that according to Google, at least, there were three times. Three times that this matchup has been discussed previously. I found all three of them. I know I'm going all the way back to like 2015 or so, which means it's a prime matchup to finally get the who would win treatment. Ray, what are your thoughts on today's battle? I'm shocked that people have talked about this because I felt so clever when we came up with this in the room. Look, Cowboy Bebop, it's sad that the live-action Netflix show isn't going to get a season two. I haven't seen it, but I just assume it's great. It's got some very talented people associated with it and a wonderful property that it's based on. I had forgotten Cowboy Bebop was as dark a show mm-hmm. as it is until oh, yeah. I went back and revisited it over the last few days. And if you want to talk about dark red dead redemption, maybe one of the greatest, honestly, one of the greatest video games ever made in history as very dark themes to it as well. John Marston, a delightful anti-hero and really captured a lot of hearts very quickly when people started playing him. You know, it's interesting. I, I actually, uh, you know, as you know, I don't have a lot of time to, to, I should be playing video games. I've I heard. should also be watching a lot more. Yeah. Here's the deal. I did, you know, kind of carve out some time to watch the Cowboy Bebop live action series. 
Look, I'm not the biggest fan of the action design of the show. With that being said, the acting, the characters, some of the CGI, the overall story arcs, I found them to be actually really, really great. There's a uh, online petition for a season two that I did actually sign. Oh. So I recommend that if anyone leads our listeners, the Legion of Audience, uh, all five of the Rainiacs as well, if you want to save that show, go ahead, find that that link to sign that petition. It was excellent. Now, speaking of excellent, Ray, he, there's something that's been coming up a lot. We started this Patreon account for the who would win show we're off to a massive start already with that being said you know this has been something that's been hit up people are hitting me up on this for the past two years i'm sure it's the same thing for you people want to know a bit more about how i feel whether i win or lose they're saying how come you don't kind of just come out and just verbally state somehow what's really going through your head right have people been asking you the same thing no nobody reaches out to me over the show at all in fact people tend to avoid me publicly whenever possible I mean, that tracks. So here's what I think we should do for our patrons of the Who Would Win show, because sometimes I'm going to say things. Look, I try not to swear on the show. I try to be very polite and respectful, what have you. But I don't always feel that way, especially if I lose a matchup to Race to Canis. Ray, I want to propose something. What if you and I posted, I don't know, a quick video? A day after the episode where, I don't know, we give our real thoughts. We were truly honest with how we feel, not just about what happened during the show, whether we won or lost, but also how we felt about the judge. Is that a little too scandalous? What do you think about that? Look, I am a bastion of honesty anywhere that I go at any given time. The question is... Is that a little too close to the sun, Icarus? Will that melt your wings and put you into the ocean to hear the unfiltered voice of me saying how I feel about things that happened on the show? I try to be fairly demonstrative on the show as it is. Okay, I'm in. Yes, I would love to make videos that highlight myself. The only thing that really surprised me with that, Ray, is that you said this is the filtered version that we're experiencing right now. Is that correct? Look, I have certain standards and practices that the Who Would Win team has forced me to abide by. That's all I'm going to say about that. Ray Cicadas, if anything, I know that you're highly expressive, and I know you do hold back sometimes, which I appreciate. But you know what? I'm still a little curious. I'd love for you just to go absolutely crazy on, on some type of confession where you really say, this is nonsense or whatever else that you'd like to curse Detroit with. I have no idea. All right. Let's make this a thing. Are you in agreement, Ray Cicadas? Yeah, we're going to make these We're gonna make these confessionals. We're going to make these reality show confessional videos that dip you a little behind the scenes of the Who Would Win show. And I believe, uh, from what you're implying, we should put all of these on patreon i think they should only exist on patreon where we're sure none of the uh, families that you know partake in our the who would win show goodness on social media and through the podcast what have you we can kind of protect them from that but everyone else who wants a bit more of an unfiltered reaction both from both yourself and myself can get access to all the good things that you know we try to give our our fan base sounds great to me I love it. All right. It's a thing. Stay tuned after this episode. Hopefully you'll hear some good stuff from me, some crazy stuff from Ray. Either way, it's going to be unfiltered because, you know, we always want to give our audience exactly what they want. Speaking of giving our audience exactly what they want, it's time to introduce our guest judge making their second appearance on the Who Would Win show. It's actor and comedian extraordinaire. It's Matthew Harris. Matthew, welcome back to Who Would Win. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is this is Absolutely a thrill. I can't wait to get into it. We, we love what you do. We think you're an amazing comedian. We're super thrilled that you're a fan of the show. You know, tell the Legion of Audience what you've been up to lately. Oh, uh, well, it's actually <laughs> dodging COVID uh, is what I've been up to. Uh, there's There's been a lot of uh, actually things that have been affected, things that have unfortunately been canceled uh, yeah. right now uh, uh, in terms of show dates. I mean, in all honesty, being a half a hypochondriac that I am, 
I am. I have actually gotten into uh, writing projects. You should be hearing stuff from me pretty soon. Very cool. Okay, can you give any any details about this writing project to our fan base? Uh, yes. Well, what, right now uh, there was a live show that I was working on that I had actually taken out to the uh, Austin Comedy Festival and like really made the rounds. It, it's a, a show that I'm doing with some really, really, really talented people, and it is sketch comedy based on the legends of West Coast and East Coast hip hop. So that it was a live show that we're going to convert uh, into some video stuff. It should be coming out soon. Okay. I, I need to see this. I need to, like, this, is, I would absolutely make time. Like, this is at the front of my queue. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I need to see that. That sounds brilliant. All right. Now, now Matthew, you've been on the Who Would Win show before. Yes. You were absolutely brilliant before. And, you know, I really resonate with the fan base as well. What unique thing makes you the ideal judge for a Who Would Win show? You know what? That's a great question. And here's my great answer. Uh, so in high school, in high school, I was on uh, the speech and debate team. I know a lot about the Lincoln-Douglas debate style, which is what you follow. Also, not to brag, this is just to share. I also was a speech champion. I, I won the national championship my sophomore year, I was third in the nation my senior year, and I was a state champion wow. my senior year. I know about this. Also, I watch this show. Or watch. I, I, well, I, actually do, I actually do see some of the, uh, the, the feed, but I, I listen to this show. I know this show. I know what goes on here. All right. I know about and, and with me, you're going to get impartiality. I, I am very much known in my nerd circles as the kind of guy who talks about this stuff anyway and always settles the debate amongst friends that are talking about this anyway. So I'm bringing my nerd knowledge. I'm bringing my debate knowledge and I'm bringing my who would win knowledge. So when it comes to me, you can't pull a Ray was right. You can't pull a James just knows. Here we go. I'm in the driver's seat today. This is incredible. Like I, I'm partly afraid and I'm partly in awe that we have such a presence on the show. I don't know if we've had anyone who's had better credentials, seriously, to be a judge on the Who Would Win show. This is incredible. Ray, how do you feel with having something like you know Matthew, a national debate champion as a judge? Do you feel this makes you – are you a bit more confident or now you're a bit more wary? Look, I, it's exciting to have a national debate champion as a judge. He could take some lessons from me. Way to start off strong. There's something to learn from everybody. There's something to learn from everybody. (laughs) All right. This bodes well. Okay. So we have two great uh, opponents. We got Ray on a winning streak with two victories so far this season. I'm due for a win as well. We have a judge who may be the most qualified ever on the entire history of the Who Would Win show. It's about that time. Ray, please do us the honors and announce today's matchup. Representing Cowboy Bebop. The bounty hunter who refused to ride Jet Blue, because only Jet Black takes him where he wants to go, Spike Spiegel. And representing Rockstar Games, the Wild West outlaw with the most famous dead eye since Nick Fury, John Marston. That's some low-hanging fruit right there, Race to Canis, but you made it work. You know what they say about low-hanging fruit? 
It's the sweetest. Do they? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going through my database there of uh, expressions, and uh, I don't know who they are, right? No, they don't. Maybe. I don't I do know it's these things. All right. Uh, well done, Ray, is something I should say right now. But before we go any further, let's go over the official rules of a Who Would Win show. Rule number one, each banner will make three points. Rule number two, the Who Would Win match is a random encounter in a neutral location with no prior knowledge of the opponent or time to prepare for the fight. Rule number three, the debater must stay within the confines of the character's personality, and the exact version of that character has to be specifically stated. So what version of the character will you be using today, Ray Stacanus? Today I'll be using the character for Red Dead Redemption 1, Red Dead Redemption 2, maybe dipping a little bit into the Red Dead Redemption Undead Nightmare DLC. That is officially part of the game, so I'm going to be focused on those two games, well, with those being the only places John Marston has actually appeared. Interesting. There's no comic book. There's no other version written. If there is, I don't know about it. Let me put it out there. There should be. It's wonderful. I would think if any character needs a comic book, it would be John Marston, right? In some ways, but I feel like with those two games, they really did a good job of telling the story. That's fair. Okay, so listen, I actually really enjoyed the Cowboy Bebop live action series. I went back and forth a little bit. However, there's just a little more to draw upon because, again, we so far we only have season one of live action Cowboy Bebop. So that's why I'll be repping uh, Spike Spiegel from the anime series from, I think, it's 1998. So well beloved, so aired so many times. You just got to go with that version. All right, rule number four debaters may only use examples of skills, powers, or weapons that are a long established part of the character's continuity. Feats from non canon crossovers are allowed, but will be given less weight. Rule number five the winner of the debate is the judge decides has the best case for defeating their opponent by death submission or battlefield removal finally rule number six the judge is the final arbiter and can disallow or veto any point they feel violates these rules or establish logic now feel free to check out the additional rules on our website who would win show.com and before we get started don't forget to visit the official who would win store get your official who would win t-shirts mugs and merchandise by going to who would win show.com and clicking on the merch section In this life, it pays to zig when everyone else is zagging. Movement saw a stagnant marketplace for watches and accessories and changed it with their unbelievable prices on some pretty classy stuff. You know by now I love my Astro Blue watch. I wear it when I want to look good. When we do live Who Would Win shows again in 2023, I guarantee I will be wearing my Astro Blue watch. And you know what time of year it is. Get something classy for your loved ones and don't break your bank to do it. Be the good gifter with movement. During their seasonal sale, get a special discount just in time for the holidays. Join the movement today at MVMT.com. That's MVMT.com. Join the movement. We have a new sponsor for Who Would Win, and I think y'all might enjoy this one. It is Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile game that taps into everything we all love about Marvel Comics. You get to pick a squad of your favorite Marvel heroes you know, and villains, let's keep it real, and team them up to fight big bads like Doctor Doom and, of course, save the universe. 
Your goal in Marvel Strike Force is to power up your characters and compete PvP against other players in multiple different modes. And you know I'm not telling you all about this empty-handed, because if you're a new user and sign up with our promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, you're going to get hooked up with all kinds of free stuff to get you started the right way. Let's face facts. You love Marvel, you love gaming, and you got a phone. So take a sec and check out Marvel Strike Force using the link in the description of this episode, ideally, and use our promo code MAXPOOL and get the whole Who Would Win show hookup. Thanks again to Marvel Strike Force, and thanks to me for this great read. Good job, me. And now, let's get to the tale of the tape for both of our combatants. Ray, please give us the details on John Marston. John Marston is a turn-of-the-century outlaw who saw the light and tried to do good by the world. He was created by Rockstar Games and first appeared in the game Red Dead Redemption in 2010. In 1899, John Marston was a member of Dutch Vanderlyn's gang, trying to keep their slice of life intact, while the whole world around them updated and matured. John was wounded and left for dead by the gang he came to see as family during a heist. This turned things around in his mind, and he settled down with his wife and two kids to leave that life behind. However, that life always has a way of catching up to you, as federal agents kidnapped his family to coerce him into active duty hunting down all the members of his old gang that were still alive and kicking and causing trouble. Calm and measured, yet capable of large acts of violence, John worked with the feds and hunted down each and every gang member on their list. Fun fact, actor Rob Whitehoff gave a legendary performance as John in both Red Dead Redemption 1 and its prequel, Red Dead Redemption 2. John is thoughtful, charitable, and unafraid to set a vehicle-mounted Gatling gun on a whole fort full of people. Given how strong Rob's performance was, it's a little surprising to hear that Rockstar Games' first choice for the role was Clint Eastwood. What? Yes, the flush with cash game studio at first tried to go big for the role and reached out to the very, very old star of Unforgiven who turned it down. I assume he was confused by the role and thought John Marston was the next Pac-Man or something. I don't know. Anyway, that is John Marston. That's so wrong. That's so You don't think Clint Eastwood could understand the concept he of a video game? He would have so awful in that role that makes no sense to cast him but they did pursue him and a few other western uh, stars robert duvall among others uh, that that I mean, to they, be in the game and everybody everybody turned him down and they had to use you know uh actual voice actors so the game is better as a direct result of this i don't know if it was better i mean clint could have had like they could have offered him like pudding breaks and, you know, some other cool incentives like that, just to, like, yeah. I don't know. As a Western uh, star, Clint Eastwood is famous for talking the least. I don't know you want to make him a voice actor. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe 40 years ago, D- Dirty Harry era Clint Eastwood could have had a chance. But, like, 80-year-old Clint Eastwood in this role, it just it would have been embarrassing. Or fantastic. One maybe. of the two. 
Maybe. All right, well done right now. Here are the details for Spike Spiegel. Spike Spiegel was created by the legendary Hajime Atate and first appeared in the premiere episode of Cowboy Bebop, which aired on April 3rd, 1998 on TV Tokyo Broadcast. In 2071, roughly 50 years after an accident with a hyperspace gateway, which made Earth almost uninhabitable, humanity has colonized most of the rocky planets and moons of the solar system. Amid a rising crime rate, the Inter-Solar System Police, otherwise known as the ISSP, set up a legalized contract system in which registered bounty hunters, also referred to as cowboys, chase criminals and bring them in alive in return for a reward. The main story arc of Cowboy Bebop focuses on Spike Spiegel and his deadly rivalry, rivalry with Vicious, an ambitious criminal affiliated with the Red Dragon Syndicate. Now exiled, Spike teams up with bounty hunter Jet Black, a former ISSP officer, to hunt down outlaws and seemingly keep just ahead of his past with the Syndicate. And here's an interesting fact about Spike Spiegel. Did you know that Spike Spiegel has more than one connection to Bruce Lee and his family? It's true. It's been established that Spike Spiegel's main fighting style is Jeet Kune Do, the fighting methodology developed by the iconic Bruce Lee. However, the other connection Spike's character has is his eerie similarities to Eric Draven in The Crow, portrayed by Brandon Lee, son of Bruce Lee, back in the 1994 film. Think about it. Both Spike Spiegel and Eric Draven were thought to be dead. Both were in love with a beautiful woman with whom they were supposed to be together, and both set out to avenge their loved ones. They also both fought their rivals in an abandoned church and succeeded in killing them in a violent and poetic manner, and both are experienced in fighting with weapons and martial arts. Was this by design or just an accidental and amazing coincidence? I think it's a little bit of column A and column B. And now you have the facts on both opponents. Matthew, do you have any questions before we get started? Just a point of clarification so that I, I have all of it locked down. For James Marston, we are including the Undead video game as part of the canon. I'm not going to rely a whole heck of a lot on it because I consider it sort of a crossover and crossovers do de deserve less weight. Okay. Uh, in many, in many ways, uh, as I, as I broke that down, it is a dream that he's having that's based on the events of his life. So right, I right. might reference it here and there, but it's not going to be the bulk of my argument. Okay. Okay. Just checking. Just checking. So, so DLCs are kind of in crossover territory. Gotcha. Sometimes not, not with George Washington though, just for the record. <laughs> So that 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 uh, that third uh, uh, game, that chapter, we should say, that's actually I know it's non canon, but that was an, officially it's a dream. It's it's not officially said that it's a dream. It's considered a side story where in the events of Red Dead Redemption, a zombie plague takes over the Wild West and he needs to find the supernatural cause of it. Yeah. Listen, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of silliness. It's not particularly long. Uh, it's just, it's a beautiful homage to the Wild West and zombies at the same time. It's just a silly, fun thing they wanted to do that if you couch it in the form of it's a dream he has kind of late stages of the game, uh, it makes a lot more sense and can be kind of taken in under those uh, pretenses. You know what's brilliant about all of this? You know, back in the, was it the 70s and 80s sitcoms when they started getting really tired around episode or season three or four, a character would all of a sudden have a baby, right? You remember that that kind mm -hmm. of trope? Oh, yeah. So I think instead, yeah, what if, you know, when, like imagine like, I don't know, take the Golden Girls, right? Great show, you know, Betty White, rest in peace, the whole thing. And then all of a sudden in the fourth season, zombies. I think I mean, it would have added to the show immeasurably. This is brilliant. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to see that? They All were right. in Florida. Um, that would happen. I'm telling you. I'm telling Lots of zombie material to play with. All right. Race to Canis, go ahead and hit us with your point number one. 
Point number one for John Marston. I just want to talk about what an amazing gunslinger he is. What a great shooter he is because he's really in in the pantheon of people who can shoot guns in video games. John Marston is right there, at least minimally, in the top five of all-time shootists in video game history. He's done some things like, you know, shot a hat that was in midair to impress people. Uh, You know, he's in the games. You can use him to shoot birds out of the sky. You can use him to shoot long weapons, shotguns, you know, a whole variety of different types of weapons, rifles. He also likes to use explosives, sticks of dynamite. So he's a very, you know, you're going to talk about, I'm sure James will, about the fact that one is a futuristic fighter and another one, and that John Marsden is an older Wild West fighter. So the technology makes a difference. I'm going to tell you right now, a gun shoots the same as a gun shoots. It doesn't matter what era that you're in. If you can hit with a gun, you can hit with a gun. And I will argue easily that John Marston is a much better gunslinger than Spike Spiegel could ever dream of being. John Marston, he went out, he killed all of Micah Bell's gang. And if you can kill an entire gang, if you can clear an entire fort full of enemies and he's all, and he can do this and he's done this multiple times where he just goes to a place where there's a whole lot of bad guys and he murders all of them, make sure that none of them get away, clearing 20, 30 guys in one fort by himself. We've never seen Spike Spiegel complete feats like that. Usually Spike Spiegel goes in, he's trying to make a little bit of noise and he's trying to get out. You never see Spike Spiegel take out 30 guys in one location. He's got to dance around, get them to chase him and do that kind of stuff. But John Marston just gets into it and does master business. Master duelist is a thing that has to be said when it comes to doing that old cowboy, you know, draw and then he shoots the guy. John Marston doesn't ever lose these quick draw contests. In fact, when doing these quick draw contests, he can usually hit his opponent five or six times in multiple vital places before the guy even fully gets his gun out of his holster, let alone fires a shot back at him. He's just too fast, too quick on the draw. So when these two characters are looking at each other and as soon as John Marston decides a fight is going to happen, this fight's going to be over before it begins because he's going to quick draw Spike Spiegel, plant five, six bullets in his chest, leg, arms, and head, and then walk away safely with an explosion happening behind him because who knows how but that's how these things always seem to work i'll also point out maybe won't be a factor here but he's just as good at shooting guns on horseback as he is just standing on the ground and he's an expert rider as well can break horses as well as ride horses so if we are somehow in a place where there are horses Spike Spiegel is going to be at a massive disadvantage because he can use the uh, maneuverability of a horse, the speed of a horse, and can get around him very, very fast. And there's not a lot Spike can do about it. And the last thing to talk about is that he's also received expert training. Now, he got trained with the Dutch Vanderlyn gang, which taught him to be rough and tumble and rob stagecoaches and do all manner of criminal activities and also become a great fighter. But he also got trained in Red Dead Redemption 1 by a guy named Landon Ricketts, who's one of the class you know, legendary outlaws of the West. And in game terms, he unlocked special abilities or furthered special abilities in John Marston for game terms. But really what it is, is he took him under his wing and he took all the things that he could do and he focused it. So the John Marston I'm talking about has been trained by Landon Ricketts, legendary outlaw to be a master at what he does. And what he does is shoot people in the head. And that's my point. Number one.
Well, there's a, there's you know some good stuff about John Marston, no doubt, and then there's some absolutely horrific, horrifically wrong things you said about uh, Spike Spiegel. Let's kind of break this all down. Uh, you said that John Marston, Marston is a gunslinger. That's clear. Um, use the word he's a one of the top shootists. Is that correct? It's an actual term you can actually use. So when you play Scrabble, if you were to put shootist on the board, would that be uh, – would anyone like say, hey, no, that's not a real word? Is that looking up – like I, I don't even really think that's a real word. Whatever. I kind of like it. Now, with that being said, you mentioned some of his impressive feats such as um, he shot a hat. Is that correct? You know, the marksmanship that it takes to throw a hat up in the air, then yeah. pull your gun out and shoot it. Oh that my God. takes a lot of marksmanship. It's also why I started point number one by talking about it, because I'm not thinking that's going to win me the argument outright. That's fair. You'd be correct on that. Now, by the way, what kind of guns, what, what is his assortment of art? What arsenal does he have on him at any one time? Man, he can he carries rifles with him, long rifles. He carries shotguns with him. He carries a whole variety of uh, pistols with him. Uh, in fact, he uh, uses a cattleman revolver, and then when he meets Landon uh, Ricketts, he gives him a Schofield revolver, so it ups his firepower a little bit. The answer is he shoots things that kill people. Got it. So you just described about 300 pounds of weapons that he carries on him at all times. Well, no, in all seriousness. Yes, he what, does. does he have, he ha so he carries all of that on him at all times. Uh, often he stows stuff on his horse and only carries a couple of weapons at a given time and then would go back to his horse who's carrying more. Got it. Okay. He's a master duelist, quick draws, which means someone's standing still in front of him. That's great. Uh, Spike Spiegel, when someone has a gun, he's not standing still. He's moving all over the place. He's quite calculated that way. Uh, how agile is John Marston, by the way? You know, he's pretty, he's fairly agile. I mean, the man can get into rough and tumble fights and he can knock people down and we've seen him dodge, dodge out of the way of shots as well. But I can get into that in my point number two. Got it. Okay. All right. So all good stuff. Let me get to my point number one for Spike Spiegel. Let's talk about his fighting skills and his weapons. Let's see if we can kind of match what John Marston's bringing to the table. Because all joking aside, it's pretty impressive. So Spike Spiegel is an insanely great, great fighter. You see this in episode one. He's such a good fighter that he can actually keep up with superhumans, which, by the way, inhabit his universe, or at least his solar system, in the late uh, 21st century. So, And this is not to take anything away from fighters from the you know early 1900s, because they were tough as hell. They could brawl like no one's business. They were leathery, you know, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, you know, they're 36 and it looks like they're 75. I mean, they're just, you know, there's a lot going on with them. They have to weather that storm pretty early. But there's a difference between an effective brawler with some fight experience who's down to fight back in 1905 in the Wild West versus someone like Spike Spiegel. He's a trained killer who not only enjoys a good fight, but has no issue with killing someone right away and using deadly force at the drop of a hat and doing all of that again against enhanced killers with tech and weapons from the future. That's the main difference between these two. Now, what makes this all so cool is that, again, I mentioned this in the, in the bio of Spike Spiegel, he uses Jeet Kune Do. Remember, this is 1998. This is kind of pre-MMA, right? There was no holds barred. There was UFC, but it wasn't MMA yet. And Spike Spiegel's using Jeet Kune Do, which at the time was thought of to be pretty much the most advanced combined fighting style that there was out there. Of course, that was made popular by Bruce Lee, who took a bunch of styles, eliminated a bunch of stuff, and said, I want to flow like water with my fighting fighting style, which is exactly how Spike Spiegel describes his fighting style within the show itself. So he flows like water. He can go within any fighting range, whether it's punching, kicking, knees, elbows, close quarter, grappling, submissions. He implements weapons and improvised weaponry into his fighting style. And then he puts his gun fighting into his martial arts uh, uh, acumen, which is really interesting because John Marston, great brawler, 
And then he's got his gunslinging, whereas Spike Spiegel has fighting. And that includes his ability to punch, kick, hit, and to use firearms, all implemented within the same fighting style. It is seamless. So here's the other thing that's really cool. Uh, You know, the way Spike uses his firearms, you're going to see him punch, kick, shoot. Hit, dodge, get behind something, shoot again. He's got excellent marksmanship, which I'll bring up later on. And the really cool thing is he can take on gangs of people at a time. So all of a sudden, if he has weapons on him or not, he can take on a ton of people. If someone's shooting at him, he pulls out his firearm, and he's shooting out and taking on a bunch of people, a gang, trained criminals from the Red uh, Dragon Syndicate, as I mentioned before. This is someone who can fight in any range against superhumans or against a gang of well-trained, you know, well-armed fighters from the future. Now, one great example of this is that he took on this fighter named Vincent. Now, Vincent is this uh, trained soldier. There was something called the Titan Wars back in, you know, uh, 20 years before wherever or 10 years before the time frame of Cowboy Bebop. And this person has nanotech, you know, flowing through him, eats through his brain, gives him enhanced physical speed, strength, perception, everything. Spike Spiegel is clearly outmatched physically, but he keeps up and delivers a ton of punishment. Why? Because that's how good of a fighter he is. That's how good he is with his gunplay. That's how well he can shoot someone, even when he's physically outmatched. He stays in there and can match someone uh, based off his physical fighting ability. Now, his weapons. The main thing he carries on him is a Jericho 941, which is an Israeli-designed handgun. It's light, really uh, great to use for combat. And what's really cool about this is that the magazine that you load it through carries either 9 to 10 bullets. And he always has on him at least another magazine to possibly two magazines. So he's got an ability to shoot 30 bullets rapid fire with a reload mechanism, which is almost inhuman. That is pretty insane. I believe that's faster than John Marston can load a gun. He also has throwing knives, which he's an expert at using. Uh, let's see. Uh, he uses environment to set up traps to get people to position them exactly where he wants. He'll shoot something off or kick something and all of a sudden the environment collapses in on that person. He's a master of kind of positioning as well. He's a master improviser. He can figure out to take out any disadvantage that's coming at him. And in a split instant, he knows how to use that and turn that around and make that to his advantage. So let's see, he's also a master tactician, comes up with insanely sophisticated plans of attack on the spot while dodging gunfire. And, you know, he takes on a group of goons armed with guns and Spike is taking them all. What he does, again, he uses everything he can that he needs to to take that win. Now, you talked about John Marston's horse. Pretty cool. I love that the horse can do that. I'll match that. I'll kind of bring up the swordfish, which is that uh, plane slash uh, spaceship, that personalized spaceship that uh, Spike Spiegel can use. Now, that spaceship, it's got, you know, super speed. It's super fast like a jet, super maneuverable. It can take off vertically and then kind of take off into space. It's a really great versatile thing. It's got a, it carries a quartet of internally sealed machine guns for short, medium range firing, has a high powered turret plasma cannon attached to the ventral side of the fuselage. And he's also got missiles, two of them at least. Why only two? Because they're really expensive. Listen, bring a horse to the battle armed to the teeth. I'll match that with a spaceship that's armed really, really well with missiles and everything else put all that together that's my point number one you bring up the spaceship and i just don't think if we start this with the two of them standing in front of each other i don't see any potential world where spike spiegel gets to his spaceship i mean he's not even the one who pilots the ship even if the judge was to allow something so ridiculous as a spaceship or a a personal craft of some kind to be allowed in this kind of a battle i don't even think he gets past the initial barrage of gunfire quite frankly you talk about spike spiegel being a master improviser well John Marston is the central character of an open-world sandbox game. There is no such thing as a more master improviser than a character in one of those games who is the lead. And you talk about duels as well. Now, I happen to remember a moment on a planet called Callisto 
when Spike was facing off with two characters named Lin and Vicious. Vicious being his mortal enemy, Lin being a huge subordinate below both of them in the food chain. And what happens? He gets into a duel with Lin, and Lin was too fast and shot him and left him for dead, turned out to be a tranquilizer, but that's not the point, when faced with an actual gunfight in a one-on-one, one-on-two type of environment, he wasn't fast enough. And if you're not fast enough against a subordinate named Lynn, you are not ready to go against John Marston. So interesting. I'm wondering, has John Marston ever been shot in, in video games? You know, I can't seem to remember a really? single time That's so when interesting John Marston got shot by anybody. It's so crazy. I know. I just I just wish there was a time we could use for the show. We'll see what happens. All right, Matthew, you've heard points number one from both Ray and myself. Where is your head at so far with this battle? So all puns intended, uh, you both came out with guns blazing on this. And uh, here's here's where here's where I'm at so far, because it's it's. It's really close. It's this is like that first round. They come out. There's jabs thrown. You're feeling each other out. You know, seeing, getting your distance down. Here's what I'm gonna say, actually, uh, based off of something that Ray brought up, in terms of of allowing the swordfish as a vehicle for for uh, Spike Spiegel and John Marston's horse. Uh, because we, because yes, the horse is a sentient animal, but you do not need the horse uh, to play <laughs> the game. However, however, in the interest of making this, I should say, keeping this fun, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to allow both because you either have either they both have to go or they both stay. I'm going to say because if you watch Cowboy Bebop, the swordfish is in every episode. All right. If you play the game, you have the horse. You will. You will be. A, you don't. You don't need the horse, but you will have the horse. So, I will go ahead and allow both of those. And based off of what we're looking at right now, I I I uh, I, I do see the the a couple of things that got negated. I'm going to give a slight, oh so slight edge to Spike. Just Ooh. to start off, Spike gets the slight edge because James brought up the po- the point of him uh, not only using the environment to set traps, uh, but also having hand-to-hand fighting experience with superhuman individuals. That's 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 what's given him the edge so far. Wow, I gotta tell you, this is surprising. The whole reason I brought the swordfish into this, I really, I, I, I had a feeling Ray was going to bring in John Marston's horse, which was a smart call, and I brought the swordfish in. Just and my whole thinking was, listen, I'll bring that in, and surely the judge will be like, you know what, I'm going to disallow both to put them back on that. E-. But you did one better, and you're allowing us to keep both of them. This is interesting, really intriguing. I may have to shift a couple of points with this. I love where this battle is going. Okay, Ray. We're off to the races with this one. Go ahead and hit us with your point number two. I mean, let's be clear right now. You might be able to use the spaceship, but I don't believe for a second he's starting on the spaceship. These are two people sitting at a table across from each other. Again, if he can't get to the spaceship, it doesn't matter if he has one. It doesn't matter if I have a million dollars in my bank account if I lose my ATM card. 
Let's talk about point number two for John Marston. I'm going to talk about both physical and mental feats because I think John Marston is a mentally tougher, mentally stronger individual than Spike Spiegel is. And I'll talk about why. First off, gameplay-wise, he can shrug off bullets. You can get hit in Red Dead Redemption while you're playing the game. And he has the ability to drink whiskey, to smoke a cigar or smoke a cigarette, or just eat food like oatcakes and then all of a sudden, his health is regenerated. So in these two people fighting in a battle, I've seen Spike Spiegel take damage. I've seen him get shot before, and he goes down. John Marston doesn't go down. He has this indomitable spirit and will to keep on fighting because often he is fighting for his family in the Red Dead Redemption game. He knows that if he goes down, his family is going down with him, and he has that mental fortitude in order to do it but he's also very very tricky you talk about the traps of spike spiegel john marston is a guy who likes to talk to the people he's fighting and often try to talk his way out of a confrontation at all because he doesn't want to kill people he's never necessarily worried about himself in these regards when he first went down to mexico there were three mexican bandito gentlemen i believe they were who were harassing him telling him he doesn't belong there they grabbed his hat off of his head and the whole time he's trying to defuse 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 everybody there's no reason let's all go home to our families we can walk away from this right now. And they took his hat and they said, take off your boots as well. And so he reaches down. Okay, I'm going to take off my boots. And as soon as he gets down to one knee, they start ha-hawing. Boy, we really got this guy. He just whips out his gun quick draw, blows away all three of them. <laughs> And impresses the early mentioned Landon Ricketts. And he says, I need to talk to this guy. This guy's got something going on. So he will absolutely talk you one way, then shoot you when you're not looking. So trickery is absolutely in his bag as well. He's also known for hunting legendary animals. It's one thing to only fight, you know, superpowered individuals. Well, he's fought giant grizzly bears and like pumas and stuff. You know, there are very large, very, very powerful, very, very exotic creatures that he's gone into their lairs and taken them out. We also don't talk about his endurance. This is a guy who can literally gameplay fight all day. He doesn't seem to need to sleep. And he can just keep fighting and fighting as day turns to night to day to night. We know Spike Spiegel has to sleep because we've done it all the time. And we've talked about the regeneration as well. Very, very important for a video game character. He can regain his health. But he's also very smart. He's an herbologist. He can actually look at the plants and know how he can mix them in order to form a concoction to get a desired effect, whether it be to heal himself, to make him see things clearer, to sharpen his spirit, whatever it is he wants to do. But additionally, to talk about the trickery, he's excellent at poker, liar's dice, and five-finger fillet, which is that knife game with your hand that goes all around it. Not good mentally, but he's focused. When it gets into those kind of moments, he's extremely focused, and he's a great bluffer as seen in liar's dice and poker. The question that I would ask is, the comparison I make is for John Marston, what if John Wick was a cowboy in the Wild West? And he walked around, he knew he could kill every single person here, everybody generally respects him, and those that don't end up in a ditch somewhere. That's John Marston. So think of him like the walk-around assassin who everybody knows better than to mess with, but some people do anyway, and they end up worse than how they started. At the end of the day, this is too much. He's too smart. He's too physical. And he's too good a shooter. Spike Spiegel's in trouble. And that's my point number two. 
Okay, interesting stuff. So you said you're first of all, you're bringing video game physics, kind of like Toon Force, but for video games where someone can like regenerate and come back to life. You're bringing video game physics into this matchup. Is that correct? Is that a thing I would do, James Gavsey? I don't, I don't know. know. We've only been doing this for three years. <laughs> I know, but it's crazy. It's because after one episode, we were talking about uh, what show was it? It was Juggernaut versus Scott Pilgrim. And that's where you, I had no idea this was a thing. You brought up the term video game physics, like gameplay and how that doesn't really mm-hmm. count. When I, and I'm like, interesting that you brought that up, Ray. I will store that as a nugget of information. I'm bringing that piece of information out right now. Video game physics, uh, I don't think so. You got to die first before you can regenerate. So you're saying he's going to die first and then come back to life. That sounds like a win for uh, Spike Spiegel. Okay. John now, Marsden doesn't die until the credits are ready to roll. You said he can regenerate life if there's like stuff like oat cakes around. And you can eat those. Stuff are you that saying, he carries with him. Don't you carry oat cakes in your pocket? I have two in my pocket right now. Those, those are not oat cakes. And please don't eat those, Ray. The last time that ambulance <laughs> cost a lot of money to the oh, show. Oh, shoot, you're right. Don't eat everything you find. Don't put stuff in your pockets. We've had this talk. I also liked how you you know, you know, said he was in this um, kind of confrontation with uh, two to three people. He's like, hey, I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight. And they say, no, we're going to take your stuff. He goes down to knee and then he shoots them. That's kind of cool. He kind of turned the tables on them. But you're saying he couldn't talk his way out of it. He couldn't sway people. He doesn't have the power of the intoxicated mind fog so to speak right you're saying that he you doesn't know, have a good way to you know when you have drunken bullies in large numbers james yeah. sometimes they cannot be reasoned with now he's fought grizzlies bear, grizzly bears pumas and other like big creatures because you're kind of making that comparison with uh spike spiegel you know going against superpowered beings or enhanced beings within his show uh let's just kind of continue that comparison what firearms were the grizzly bears and pumas carrying at the time when John Marston was fighting them. It's funny. They actually use Gatling guns uh, very substantially. No, they are animals. They rely on their huge fangs, claws, and strength and size. So no no, no actual projectiles being fired back at John Marston. He could shoot them from a distance. Got it. Okay. Just kind of clarifying that. Uh, I think that's it. Now, let me get to my point number two. Here's the fun part. I watched this series... And the way Spike Spiegel is moving, and I'm kind of understanding like how he's fighting, and I love Jeet Kune Do uh, as a martial arts style. It's brilliant. But I'm seeing that he's doing stuff that are kind of – I'm like, is that just for the storytelling, what have you? And I came to a kind of a weird conclusion, you know, or more of a question. Is Spike Spiegel superhuman? He's got some attributes, so I don't quite think he is, but I think he's kind of getting to that upper tier of humanity. So let's talk about his durability and his ability to take pain, because that actually may be superhuman. So during the whole series, Spike takes insane amounts of punishment, but somehow, somehow, he just takes it in stride and keeps on fighting. For example, he no-sells punches from goons because he knows they're not going to hurt him. So instead of dodging, he's like, go ahead, hit me, boom, and he's just smiling at him, because why? He can take it, no effect whatsoever. It's kind of weird. Uh, this is a little step up. He takes a bullet in the stomach and keeps on going and fighting. That is crazy. He falls two stories onto his head and survives, and this is after he got shot. Uh, let's see, he survives the blast and explosion, and you guessed it, gets up and keeps on fighting. You see in the theme here? It's kind of interesting. When it comes to desire to keep on fighting and overcoming inhuman amounts of pain, Spike actually may be the king of this in all of anime. It's really crazy. Now let's talk speed. I've already discussed how, you know, in a little bit, um, or I've alluded to how Spike can actually dodge bullets at close range. Now, of course, he does get shot because we're talking about 
about future tech that's coming at him from all angles, and he's usually fighting more than one person, or at least someone who's got these superhuman enhanced abilities. So he can get shot, but very often when he's up against regular humans who have this advanced tech and these firearms, he can actually dodge gunfire. How does he do it? He can actually predict firing angles and lanes and what have you, and knows how to dodge it, dog, you know, get behind stuff, and avoid getting hit. Uh, let's see, another way to see how fast Spike was, there's an episode where he has to chase a kind of a train, it's an upside down kind of uh, subway kind of thing, it's already going at full speed, he takes off after it, now of course, he has to run like crazy, and he actually catches up to the train, jumps on top of it to get on it, that is highly impressive, pretty sure John Marston's not doing that matches, or not matching that speed. His kicks are also unreal, he delivers them super fast from weird angles, and super fast succession, again, awesome martial arts action. He's got insane agility and acrobatic skill, that makes it very hard for him to get hit, either by a shot, a kick, a punch, or what have you. He can punch metal so hard that he can dent it deeply, and that's with a bare fist. He can knock someone out with one punch. When he got dogpiled by a large group of attackers, he easily breaks it breaks out of them and sends everyone flying, kind of like a Hercules getting dogpiled, and he just kind of stands up, roars, and everyone goes flying. Didn't expect that from Spiegel, Spike Spiegel, but what the heck, it's a thing. Let's see, in one episode, Spike has to hold on to and hang on to this other aerial craft that can go in space in the air, and it's this cohort of his named Faye. So she's driving her ship, she's in the air. He has to jump on, grab it, hang upside down from it, and the thing is zigzagging all around the sky. He's hanging onto it like a champ. He's also an ability to use sleight of hands combatively too, with the speed of his hands. He can take someone something from someone like ammo, what have you. You can plug something onto someone without them noticing, like an explosive. But there's also an area where Spike really stands out, and that's his accuracy. For some reason, I'll get into later. He can actually be insanely accurate. So. He can shoot people from a distance while running. That's not a problem. He can shoot someone at long distance while running and jumping through the air, crazy acrobatic style. Again, not a problem. He can do that with a shotgun. You can shoot a shotgun while in air doing acrobatics. I don't even know how that works. I've shot shotguns before. I love them. I got to take a stance, really make sure my shoulders are in the right position. Spike Spiegel can do that in air upside down. Really, really crazy. Hitting someone hundreds of yards away on a high balcony at night with pretty much no visibility, also not a problem. Headshots, shooting a gun out of someone's hands, being super accurate with targets that are impossibly hard to hit, all in a day's work for Spike Spiegel. Look, as tough, as strong, and as good of a shot as John Marsden is, because he actually is awesome, he doesn't have the speed that Spike does, probably doesn't have the same pain tolerance, maybe close, he's nowhere as in good shape as Spike Spiegel, and absolutely doesn't have the same type of on the fly, running at five speed, upside down marksmanship that Spike Spiegel has. All of that is my point number two. You would actually sit here and look at me, James Gavsey. Not by and choice. And try to pretend that John Marston isn't as tough as Spike freaking Spiegel. That is outrageous to me. John Marston has two giant claw marks on his face that never healed from being attacked by wolves up in the mountains. Spike Spiegel lives a life of luxury in fancy hotels. I mean, this is outrageous to me that you would think that one man who lives in the wilderness is not as tough as a man who lives a posh future lifestyle. Outrageous. But let me tell you about this. The only thing superhuman about Spike is that amazing hair hairdo because he is you keep alluding like he must be superpowered I've seen no evidence that he is superpowered some of the people he has fought have enhancements that is true but nothing that he has done is outside the realm of things that regular people can do I mean you talk about oh Spike Spiegel's taking bullets 
you know, getting picked on the shoulder and keeping going as if nothing happened. You just described John Marston's Thursday. This guy takes punishment and comes back. And with Spike being a bounty hunter, doesn't he need to take people alive? Doesn't that mean he's not necessarily shooting to kill? Guess what? John Marston will always shoot to kill because he doesn't need any more problems down the line. So quick question. You're saying that Spike Spiegel's got this life of luxury? I've seen some of the jobs and credits that he's taken in. And I've seen some of the fancy hotels him and Faye Valentine have stayed at. I would argue he's got it better off in this world than a guy who has to often live in the woods. Look, just because someone pulls a race to Canis and lives out in the forest, that's their decision. Spike Spiegel is known for not getting, he, he actually is known for not being able to eat properly. His cigarettes are like second and third hand cigarettes. With all of that being said, we're now at the turning point. Matthew, you've got to tell us who you think is ahead and what the other side has to do to pull out a win. Whoo. All right. So, okay. I've been taking notes like crazy. Let's, let's, let's get into this right now because now going into this in second point, I said that uh, uh, Spike was a little bit of a head based off of some, some of the attributes that he has. Now, here's what I'm going to say in terms of the arguments that you both have laid out. Both of you have convinced me that you are representing some tough people, some tough People with high endurance, okay, they can take a lot of damage. All right, that's that's that that point is is very much made for both characters. Yes, I do agree with 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 James. Spike does not live in the lap of luxury. However, uh, I actually think that I do agree with Ray that Marsden, with being in the wilderness, with the fact that yes, Spike is surviving on cigarettes. But Marsden is coming from an era where they didn't have vitamin A. Uh, and that's <laughs> th things like that come into play, you know, like like Spike at least had some riboflavin in his diet uh, that that I will say uh, not not big in the Wild West, riboflavin. Surprising. You can look that up. So I will say now with with looking at 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 where we are. Whoo, this is this is even Marsden is starting to pull ahead for me. Mm. He's starting to pull ahead for me because yes, Spike, he's he he can he can move, he's got insane martial arts abilities, he's got all this kind of stuff, but Ray brought up something that really is kind of is kind of piquing my interest. Marsden is a killer. He goes into a room, he clears the room. And and he, he leaves a room with bodies in it. Spike can kill. Spike has had occasion where he's had to do what he's had to do, but his practice is in capture. His practice is in, is, is in confining, and Marsden, you would have to kill him. He would really bring it down to, to, to it's going to be a me or you situation, and I'm looking, and right now, it looks like he could he could walk away with the final kill shot. So what I need to see, what I need to see is Spike pulling out that 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 will that he would overcome somebody who does have that kind of John Wick or even makes me think of like the Punisher. Like you would have to you would have to lop limbs off of this person to stop them from coming at you. So that's what I would need to see 
for Spike to pull out a victory. Interesting, interesting. Okay, this is all good stuff. All right, Ray, you're slightly ahead. I like where I'm at with this. Go ahead and hit us for your point number three. Point number three for John Marston. I'm going to talk about, you pretend that Spike Spiegel is a superhero. Well, John Marston actually is a superhero in his own way because he has one very crucial, very specific, very important superpower, and that's called Deadeye. Deadeye is the mechanic in Red Dead Redemption that allows him to all of a sudden slow down time so he can take off a series of well-aimed shots at people as if no time had elapsed whatsoever. It's believed, in my mind, to be an in-game mechanic that represents how, as James Gavsey likes to say about Captain America, he sees and thinks faster than his opponent. This is why he is a master duelist. This is why when he gets into a one-on-one confrontation, draw me already. He's not a pirate, but that's the only thing I could think of at the moment. Don't worry about that. This is why he comes out of those battles and always wins. He's able to slow down time in his own mind, which allows him to do two things. Super fast shooting. It's been said that he can shoot guns faster than these guns should physically be able to be shot. His Schofield revolver shouldn't be able to squeeze off five shots in 1.5 seconds, but that's exactly what John Marston does. Additionally, it allows him to seize shots coming in at him with a great deal of slowed down time as well, allowing him to get out of the way. I'm not going to say he's Keanu Reeves in the Matrix, but he may as well be Keanu Reeves in the Matrix, the way that he's able to slow down time and get out of the way of these bullets in slow motion. The other cool thing about Deadeye is his ability to freeform aim anywhere that he wants to, which is allowing him to, when he slows down time against Spike Spiegel, he's going to have a set period of time where everything slows down and he's going to shoot him knee, thigh, gut, shoulder, head. And he's going to go bang, 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 bang. And he's going to rip off all of those shots immediately to the point where Spike, poor Spiegel, isn't going to be taking in any bounties today because he will not be left alive. In fact, he shoots people so unbelievably fast that they're dead before their bodies know it. They're dead before they can even fall down. You watch the leg crumple out from underneath him, and then all of a sudden you see him hit the ground. That's what John Marston can do. This is why he is so wildly effective. Again, he's able to shoot and use his weapons, which come from an old-timey era, in such a way that he can defy the laws of physics. So my entire point with all of this is that James likes to pretend that Spike Spiegel has superpowers. He doesn't. I like to tell you the truth because I am an honest American and I will tell you in the name of the Wild West, John Marston does have a superpower. That superpower is Deadeye and that's going to win him every one-on-one confrontation, including this one. And that's my point number three. Honest American, are are you somehow saying I'm lesser because I'm a Canadian immigrant to this great country race to Canis? I'm just saying I love the United States of America. I got a few (laughs) questions here. (laughs) <laughs> Got a few questions here. First of all, I love the Deadeye ability. I think that's really, really cool. How how does John Marsden call upon that ability? Is this something like if I were to play right now, Red Dead or Redemption? Yes. Could I, as my first move, call on Deadeye? Yes. Right away, as my like I before you I could do call anything. on it, but it gets 
it gets improved as he goes on. When he meets Landon Ricketts and he gets that extra training, it unlocks, they say, I think, level three of the Deadeye, which allows him to get off more shots, have it last longer, and just be more. What it really amounts to is his intense focus in a moment where it's a life or death situation, which is, I believe, exactly what we're talking about here. Got it. So when John, you know, spoiler alert, when John Marston dies at the end of Red Dead, what? yes, at Red Dead Redemption, you know, he was saving his his wife and his son, if I'm not mistaken. Why didn't he use the dead eye at that moment? He did. Oh, he did. Interesting. He did a dead eye. And, the, and what happened? The problem is, James, when you're being pointed at by 20 people from the FBI and the U.S. military, and they're all pointing guns at you, you he used his dead eye and picked off five or six of them, and then the rest of them that were standing gunned him down like a dog in the street. Interesting. Unfair. So he's able to move. Bully tactics. If he's able to, I call it James Gavsey tactics. That's right. That's <laughs> that's exactly. Right. You got to overpower some. But here's the deal. He wasn't. He was able to slow down time. He was able to get out of the way to fight physics for five of the people. Not all of. Like I mean, that just doesn't make sense to me. Why he wouldn't? I think it's am so I pretty mistake, cool. Am I missing something here? Where Spike Spiegel can multiply himself by twenty? If he can do that, James, you win this battle. Awesome. So I love John Marston as a character. I want to play Red Red Dead Redemption if I can. But I got to do what I got to do with my point number three. So here's the thing. Spike actually is a killer. Remember, he's from a former crime syndicate that was notorious throughout the solar system for taking out people insanely ruthlessly. His partner, who then became his enemy, a character named Vicious, a psychopathic, murdering, insane person who just would do literally anything anything to gain power, that's who he was best friends with for the longest time. They had a lot of misadventures together before they split over this woman, Julia, and, you know, he, uh, Spike tried to make her an honest woman through all that kind of good stuff. Watch the series to find out more. Talking about killing people, Spike has killed dozens of dozens of people, and there's two times where you really see this, where he's going after that character, Vicious, because Vicious has Julia, and he's trying to get her back. So what happens is, the first time, he storms a church, and he goes John Wick Punisher style, takes out everybody as he's making his way up the stairs, going around trying to find Vicious. He's shooting people in the head. He's taking out, he's planting explosives as he's running by so that when they chase after him, they get blown up as well. This is someone who knows how to fight that way. And then it happened again on a rooftop where he plants explosives, shoots his way all the way to the top to take on Vicious one more time and actually kill him, which is a great scene in uh, the final episode of uh, Cowboy Bebop. All right. Now, on top of all that, let me kind of revisit this. Spike has gone up against much tougher opponents and killed them than John Marsden has. Look, he's gone up against a Puma, a Grizzly, takes out five to six people out of 20. That's awesome. When Spike takes on a whole group of people, he takes them out. Again, twice. Church, rooftop building, where he's trying to go through. Everyone knows he's coming in. He still goes in anyway. They have guns trained on him. He still knows how to get out of the way and take them all out. Now, let's talk about these people he's taken on. Spike took on this character named Asimov. Asimov was this drug dealer who used this uh, drug called Bloody Eye, which you spray in your eye and all of a sudden your adrenal glands go crazy. You have superhuman strength, durability. You can think fast for the whole thing. Spike takes him out, beats him so bad that he actually runs for his life, jumps in a ship, and then rather die by the police force 
in space than take on Spike. That's how tough Spike is, although Spike did want to kill him too. Let's see. You've got this character named Pierre LeFou. This is a character who dressed up like a clown, had the mind of an adolescent, was a murderous psychopath. It was someone from that Titan War I mentioned before who was put – it gave him the super soldier type of stuff. He had super strength, super durability, and could fly, and then was taking on Spike in an amusement park where Spike is blowing everything up using his environment, and then he actually throws the throwing knife into his leg, trains his gun on him, and was about to kill him until this giant kind of animatronic thing stepped on him to kill him and take him on 100%. This guy does a lot of stuff that results in death. He take, took on his character named Vicious. Again, psychopathic, probably the most dangerous character in all of Cowboy Bebop, and this an amazing fight takes him out after already being shot, going through this church, or this building where he's taking out everyone John Wick style, finds Vicious, takes him out, Takes some damage as well, but takes him out once and for all. This is a killer, no doubt. Now, of course, he likes to capture people for the bounty. The running joke in Cowboy Bebop is that he doesn't actually capture a lot of these people. They die in the process. That's the fun part about the show. Now, here's a real fun part, too. I got to go back to this. Why? We talked about the dead eye. There's something that Spike Spiegel has that does put him over the superhuman range. Remember I talked about his accuracy and what he can do and how he hardly ever misses a target? That's because Spike Spiegel has a cybernetic eye. And this eye enables him to actually see targets. He can process information. He's not missing what he's seeing. It almost slows down everything to help him kind of analyze what's going on. That's what gives him this marksmanship as well as all that experience. Look. I hated seeing this YouTube video of, of John Marsden, you know, heroically sacrificing himself, taking out five to six people, whereas the rest kind of shoot him and what have you. But I love seeing Spike go into twice, buildings packed with people who knew they were coming in, shooting at him like crazy with him having to dodge everything, trying to save his love, you know, the love of his life. Failing once, but then hopefully, you know, doing it the second time. The whole point is when you put both these characters together in similar circumstances, dead eye versus cybernetic eye, accuracy, weapons, and what have you. One is from 1905 and dies in the end. The other one, we're not sure if he's dead or not, but he takes out a lot more people in process against much tougher competition. That's my point number three. Very interesting. You said a lot of things I was expecting you to right there. And let me blow up your arguments. Okay, I'm very excited that Spike Spiegel fights clowns. He fights future <laughs> clowns. Maybe that's not the killer point you thought it was, James. <laughs> and you t- you're going to act like John Marston you know, didn't take out forts. Like he doesn't constantly go to forts and places where people are entrenched and hold up and then remove all of their lives from the place in, in question. Of course he does that. It's a kind of an essential part of playing through red dead redemption. And honestly, the final scene of both you claim spike isn't dead. He's dead. He would have come back if he wasn't dead. The writer will be cagey about it because he wants a payday down the road. We all know at the end of that series, Spike Spiegel is dead because his story is complete. But the one thing that I noticed between Spike Spiegel and John Marston is at least John was able to save the people that he loves because Spike was not. Sorry, Julia, you didn't make it to see the end of the series. At the end of the day, these two people, when facing off against each other, and that's how these fights are going to start. They're not going to start with Spike on a spaceship orbiting the planet where, where, where John Marston's on a horse and doesn't even know what's going on. When these two are facing each other face-to-face, John Marston's going to realize the violence is about to happen. He's going to use the dead eye. He's going to rip off a whole bunch of holes in that lovely suit that Spike Spiegel is wearing, and he's going to drop him dead in the streets, and then he's going to order another whiskey. In the end, he did save Jet Black and Faye, and how does he get down the planet? 
with his spaceship. I'll leave it at that. These are two amazing characters. Matthew, you've heard three points from Ray. You've heard three points from me. Now it's time for you to take us through your process. Tell us a story. And in your mind, possibly the greatest judge ever in the Who Would Win show history, tell us who wins this battle between Spike Spiegel and John Marston. This was a this was a heated one. I'm gonna tell you right now, especially especially for me. Um, if I'm gonna put all my cards on the table, part of me is thinking I shouldn't have allowed the horse in the spaceship, but I'm also glad I did. All right, I I I, I stick I stick with my guns, just like our two characters today. And let me tell you, whoo! These this last argument that you both brought here brought some thunder. You 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 scrambled things up a bit. So this is the story I see, okay? If we're talking about going by who would win standard general things, these two uh, people meet up. They're in, they're in this neutral area, all right? They're meeting up, I'm going to say, man-to-man, all right? That's, that's, that's how they're meeting up. A horse would need to be called, which I know is done with a whistle. The other one could be done with a comp. But what I see is that if, if they sense danger in each other and they both go, both of them have the reflexes, dead eye, and I'm going to tell you, I, the, I would not have gotten through the game if were it not for dead eye. Uh, I don't think anybody would have. But James brings up a, a very good point. The, 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 the bionic eye and, and what it's able to do for Spike's reflexes. I mean, we're almost looking at, you, you brought up, somebody brought up Keanu Reeves in the Matrix before. This is, Pretty much makes me think of the scene uh, in the first Matrix where Agent Smith and Neo meet up and they finally have that duel and they're shooting at each other. Bullets are whizzing by. All right. You got two people of a, of a, of a similar caliber. So I see uh, them going into it. Here's the way I see this battle coming out. They're going to be moving. They're going to be doing everything that they know to do with the best of their ability. Neither of these men is walking away without being shot. I'm going to tell you right now, there's going to be blood on the floor. It's going to be from both of them. But when the dust settles, when the, when the cordite starts to, to, to uh, dissipate in the air a bit, when the gun smoke really starts to clear, and we see a bloody Marsden, and we see a bloody spike, knowing what I, what, what I know for, from what you have told me, and especially taking into effect the improvisation that Spike has shown when he is faced with insurmountable odds, when you compare that to the toughness that Marsden shows of his never say die, uh, and 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 he has to be all the way dead. He has to be one hundred percent dead, not seventy five percent, before you win this. Before you win this. I'm going to say that in the simulation that has run through in my mind, taking in accuracy, taking in agility, taking in fights before, it's a close one, gentlemen. But I think Spike's Beagle walks away. Un-freaking-believable. Oh, wow. How does he walk away when both of his legs have been blown out from underneath him? That's he outrageous. He walks away barely is how he walks away. He might fall down later, by the way. He crawls, crawls away. He crawls accurate. away. He crawls. That he crawls. is crazy. I got to tell you, Ray, I don't think you've ever presented a better argument for a character ever. Seriously. I was like, it was close. Oh, my gosh. It was yeah. so, so, so close. I'm telling you, Ray, you were you were you were winning this thing. It was one. It was it was it was really, really in there. 
but bringing up that whole idea of how Spiegel's final battle really, if you when you compare the the way the two final battles went oh, down, yes. When you compare the way the two final battles went down and the fact that there was ambiguity, that he, he stood like a champ and he took it and he took people with him. Spike, we don't know. Spike, Spike know. very much well may have lived to fight another day. Unbelievable. I got to tell you, the way you described everything, my heart was pounding as you were going back and forth. I'm like, oh, he's right. And then Ray brought that point and what have you. That was such a great story and journey you took us on. You know, Ray Stacanus, I know we're going to be on Patreon, and I, you know, and you're going to give us your your full, full reaction to this, but I kind of want a sneak peek. How do you feel right now after this battle? I feel the same way I do anytime I see a huge mistake happen in front of me. I just, I wonder what led us to this point. I wonder what happened. I wonder... Uh, how the world could be so cruel. Look, I was not going to go 51 and 0 on the show this year, although I probably should have. I have to believe the people at home are livid. The people at home are currently throwing things out their windows of their cars as they are driving because nothing matters anymore. Reality doesn't matter. Facts don't matter. Great characters like John Marston apparently don't matter. This is an absolute outrage. That's what I have to say. Got it. I got to reveal something to uh, both of you gentlemen. And I use that in the definitive way for you, Matthew, in the um, sarcastic way for you, Ray. I feel and have felt that with the live action series, Cowboy Bebop and the, you know, the toxic fandom that kind of came out of the negative reactions and what have you. I'm like, you know what? I needed to get Cowboy Bebop a definitive win. And I needed to get Cowboy Bebop a definitive win against a very strong opponent you know, and I need to get Spike Spiegel to win uh, against a very strong opponent, which we did today. Look, Cowboy Bebop, Spike Spiegel, and all the other characters got dragged through the mud, and it killed me. Look, I love the anime series back when it came out. I still watch. It's on Netflix now. I've been watching an episode here and there. absolutely love it. The series is not bad at all. It didn't deserve all of this. And I just felt, as a fanatic of Cowboy Bebop, that justice was not done with everything that was happening with the live-action series. So I did it. For the fan base. I did it for all the Spike Spiegel fans, the Cowboy Bebop fans, the people who love the series. This is for all of you. Justice has been served. You're welcome. Matthew, you are one heck of a judge. I got to tell you, you kept us honest. You were very surprising. But man, did you ever just, I don't know what the right verb is. You I guess you just judge it really, really well. What did you think of today's episode? Did you have a lot of fun? And would you consider coming back again? Well, the, to, to answer all of your questions, uh, to try to hit them in, in, in the sequence. First of all, I loved this episode. To be honest with you, I feel like the outcome surprised me. Wow. Because I know where I was in my heart. And to be honest with you, I have, I have played the Red Dead Redemption game, as many of us have who have played the game, for hours. It has taken over parts of our lives Fair. and time away from our families. Uh, so I, I know that character real well. I actually, I have, I have only seen maybe, uh, half a season of Cowboy Bebop, oh, wow. but I, I am familiar with the character. So I really was just kind of going off of the feelings here, uh, that it was. I would absolutely come back to this show. I would love to, to come back on this show because, uh, as I said, I'm a fan. I, 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 I listen to you guys. I I have my opinions on on the rulings and on the, on the presentations of arguments. And listen, service to all the 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 legion of audience out there. Feel free to contact me about 
I, I'm opening myself up here. Uh-oh. Contact me about 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 your ideas, about what you about what you thought of the judgment. If you have a question for me, I will answer it. Yeah, I put it out there. Wow, that that's what you need in a judge. If someone's going to stand by the decision and take every, I think actually a lot of people are going to agree with you. That's just my opinion. I think you're going to your people are going to be like applause for Matthew. Now you told everyone they should reach out to you. Tell us where they can find you online. Absolutely, you can find me on it's Matt Harris Graham on Instagram, uh, or you can find me on just simply it's Matt Harris on Twitter. Very cool, Ray. Congratulations on another great episode. You came up a little short, but man, did you ever fight like crazy? I am so impressed by you. Tell everyone where they can find you. Well, first off, I'd like to congratulate Matthew Harris uh, on your last appearance as judge on the Who Would Win show. You blew it, but you know what? We we can't have everything in this life. Thank you for being here today. We will never see you ever again. I would like to say I wanted this one extra hard because I have been playing Red Dead Redemption 2. I have not quite completed it yet. But uh, I believe I'm sure it's going to turn out well for everybody involved. It just feels like one of those kind of feel-good kind of games. John Marston, personal hero of mine, one of the best performances in all of video games. James Gavsey, I've told you, you got to play Elder Scrolls V Skyrim as a game that would get you back into gaming. I would also add Red Dead Redemption, the first one. It's 12 years old, basically, at this point. Holds up. You should play it so you would know deep down inside you how unbelievably (laughs) wrong you are in thinking that Spike Spiegel would ever have a chance. You can find me on Twitter at Almighty Ray. Is this the year? Is this the year where James Gabsey starts uh, gaming again? I don't know. Maybe. Same as any other year. I hope so. Trust me. I really hope so. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by typing in at James Gabsey. Ray, before we kind of talk about anything else, we should talk about another featured patron. Who do you have for today's episode? The featured patron of the day is Sean Griffiths. He joined our Patreon very early on in the process, and I want to take a chance. James, who would Sean Hmm. Griffiths fight? Name me a character, and I'll tell you how Sean would beat them. Sean, I know Sean quite well through social media. I'm going to give him the one, the only, Pickle Rick. Pickle Rick. Now, the cool thing here about Pickle Rick is he's very, very small, and when, as a pickle, doesn't have all of the access to things that Rick Sanchez would have. We all love ourselves some Pickle Rick, but at the end of the day, Sean Griffiths is making a sandwich out of Pickle Rick, slicing him up. Pickle Rick needs a lot of help. Sean's not here to give that help. He eats him. Sean takes the win right there. I got to agree with that 100%. For Pickle Rick to do anything, he needs time. He needs to build up and go from one level to yep. another. Sean's, Sean's not, not going to do it that. To Sean's going to you know, eat that pickle like it's no one's business. I give the victory to Sean as well. I agree 100%. All right. Now, thank you to all of our patrons. Please continue supporting the show and just being absolutely awesome. Remember to join the official Who Would Win Facebook group to make a suggestion for a matchup for the show and be part of our growing community. You can also find us on Instagram at Who Would Win Show. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you go for your podcasts. On behalf of myself, Ray Sicanus, the geek and game community, and the rest of the amazing Who Would Win team, thank you once again for listening to another episode of Who Would Win. We'll see you next time. Hey gang, I hope you enjoyed this episode and love listening to the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Quick reminder that you can support us by going to patreon.com slash show right now. Okay, gotta prepare for next week's episode. Hope the rest of your day is full of wins. 
up, everyone? Brian here, host of the TV and Movie Trivia Podcast. It's a trivia-style podcast focusing on TV and movies. Listen in for questions like, what's the name of Michael Scott's screenplay? What do you say to view the Marauder's map? What are Tony Stark's last words to Thanos in Avengers Endgame? And where does Ron Burgundy say he is when he calls the news station sobbing from a phone booth? I've covered The Office, Harry Potter, Marvel, Will Ferrell movies, Lord of the Rings, and more, with even more on the way. So play along to the TV and Movie Trivia Podcast anywhere you get podcasts, and stay tuned for more trivia! Trivia!